Hi, and welcome to the MedCore Podcast Network. I'm Mike Frattentoro with RT Magazine. On today's episode, we're focusing on respiratory care and lung imaging technology, specifically the use of lung ultrasound for identifying and managing lung diseases. I'm joined by Paul Nuccio, a respiratory therapist and pulmonary care director and consultant. Paul was most recently a faculty member at Boise State University and a former director of pulmonary services at Brigham and Women's Hospital and the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. Before we begin, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about your career in respiratory care and you know, how did it all start and did you always know you wanted to get involved in, in healthcare and pulmonology? Well, let's see. I've been a respiratory therapist and a member of the ARC for 45 years this year, actually. Um, and during that long career, I've done many different things including cleaning respiratory equipment, clinical bedside treatments, teaching, managing both small and large departments. And I've also been involved with a fair amount of both bench and clinical research. Um, I actually worked in a hospital prior to getting interested in respiratory. I was a transporter for a while and then an orderly for a while. and being an orderly, I got to go to all the critical emergencies, all the Code 99 procedures that were going on. And interestingly, the person who was the code leader at that hospital was a respiratory therapist. Um, and that's what got me interested in pursuing a career in respiratory therapy. So we're here today to talk about lung ultrasound and its applications in diagnosing and managing lung conditions. But before we do that, uh, could you talk a little bit about what the existing, maybe the more traditional diagnostic tools that are available uh, to pulmonary specialists and uh, some of the pros and cons of each, like what's available in their, you know, quote unquote arsenal and when they need to find out what's going on with the lungs. The standard way that we do things in an intensive care unit, most of what I'm going to talk about today is in the critical care unit or the ICU. And we very often will do chest x-rays, chest radiography. Um, Sometimes we'll have to send patients for CAT scans or computed tomography scans. Um, And then we'll also sometimes send patients to the pulmonary function lab to have spirometry or other more involved procedures done. we also get involved in doing bronchoalveolar lavage procedures, sometimes with, sometimes without doing lung biopsies. We do lots of blood gases, and there's a variety of other things. And I'd like to talk a little bit about each one of these if I could. Um, the chest X-ray has been around for a long time, discovered back in the late 1800s. So it's certainly not by any stretch of the imagination, a new technology. Um, And like anything, there's pros and cons. A couple of the pros, they can easily help diagnose certain conditions in the lungs, such as tumors. And they also provide us with a medium image quality, which is often quite acceptable. A couple of the cons, they do... Like a lot of the imaging studies, they provide patients with radiation exposure, too much of which can cause cells to mutate, can cause ionization, 
and ultimately lead to the patient developing cancer. So they're certainly not without risk. Um, another problem with chest radiography is that the bones actually absorb the radiation. So they don't always provide for the best possible image. Then came along computed tomography or CT scanning, which is usually done in a CAT scan department, although there are some places that have the luxury of portable CT scanners. Um, those were invented back in the 1960s and 70s. So they've been around for a while as well, but certainly not as long as the chest x-rays. Um, some of the pros for CT scans, they take a fairly short amount of time to do the study, usually 15 or 20 minutes. They produce very high quality images. And they're actually fairly easy to do and considered, uh, considered somewhat non-disruptive. However, they do provide a fair amount of radiation exposure like the chest x-rays do. And they often require the use of a type of contrast material or dyes that have to be injected into the patient, which can have their own set of hazards associated with them. And in most cases, it typically requires a patient to be transported to another area of the hospital, which is extremely difficult for critically ill patients, particularly those patients that we care for who are on mechanical ventilators. So basically, it requires more people power. It requires people to transport the patient from the ICU down to the CAT scanner, and then it requires personnel in the CAT scan department as well. On the next item, sometimes we perform spirometry or different other types of pulmonary function tests. These have been available for a long time, probably back since about the 1840s, so for quite a while. They're fairly easy to access, within a hospital setting anyways. Um, they provide a good reliability of their measurements, and sometimes they help to facilitate consultations for additional respiratory services that perhaps the primary physician never even thought about. Some of the cons, there's often limited capacity, and this is very often a problem in hospitals because pulmonary function labs do both inpatients and outpatients, and sometimes their capacity, particularly to do things to the bedside, may be quite limited. It also may require transporting the patients out of the clinical area down to the pulmonary function lab, and there is often a a delay in getting the testing result feedback back to the ordering physician. And part of that is because usually these tests have to sit around and wait for the a pulmonary specialist to actually interpret the results. And lastly, with the cons for spirometry and pulmonary function testing, it requires very close monitoring for the quality of the studies. Otherwise, it could be very easy to report inaccurate results. Moving on down to my list anyways, uh, we have BALs or bronchoalveolar lavages and lung biopsies. And these have been performed probably since the mid-1970s. 
They are considered to be minimally invasive, although if you do a biopsy, that would become more invasive. They do have the ability to readily sample alveolar contents, which could be a good method, provide a good method to evaluate for certain opportunistic infections. Some of the drawbacks, it does require the insertion of a flexible bronchoscope into the subsegmental areas of the lung. And these procedures, since they usually require a lot of saline to be instilled into the lungs, are very often poorly tolerated. In a critical care area, we also perform a fair number of arterial blood gas procedures where we take a needle and syringe and stick it into the patient's artery, usually a radial or a brachial artery, and draw out a sample of blood and then run it through a blood gas analyzer. And I do have to say that over over my many years in the profession, I've seen a, a drop or a decrease in the amount of these procedures that are being done, probably because they are invasive. And beyond that, also the results are just a quick point-in-time sample, which can change minutes after the sample is drawn. So they still do do them, and they do provide valuable information for us in the ICU. Um, But the frequency of the procedure being done seems to have become less and less. So that's kind of a summary of a lot of the different tools that we have um, at the bedside currently. So, Paul, what is lung ultrasound? How does the technology work? You know, just kind of the basics. Um, and, you know, what does a typical test or, you know, an ultrasound session look like when, as it relates to the lung? Well, lung, lung ultrasound is just like any other types of ultrasounds, which incorporate sound waves that are picked up through a probe, and they're used to evaluate certain parts of the body. Now, initially, people didn't look to ultrasound too much to evaluate the lungs, since normally ultrasounds are not transmitted through structures that are filled with gas, such as we find in the lungs. And because of that, the lung parenchyma is not normally visible beyond the pleura. But because injury to the lung creates an abnormal gas and tissue interface, artifacts will be produced by the ultrasound, which make it possible for lung ultrasound to accurately assess lung aeration in those patients who develop acute lung injury. So people have begun to see real value of that. So many of the conditions that lead to a patient developing severe shortness of breath, such as pulmonary edema, pleural effusion, pneumothorax, and pneumonia, all have distinct sonographic appearances enabling both rapid and also accurate bedside identification. Uh, So, Paul, what diseases or conditions in particular can it be useful in identifying or monitoring? I mean, you mentioned a few already, but are there any others? Or if you didn't want to talk a little bit more about those um, specific conditions. Right. So when when I'm talking about lung ultrasound, I'm really talking about 
ultrasound that's done at the point of care, so at the bedside, rather than bringing a patient down to some ultrasound suite in a different part of the hospital. So point of care ultrasound provides a rapid, affordable, and dynamic modality for the evaluation of the airway anatomy and the facilitation of endotracheal intubation when it's performed by the right type of clinician. So it can be very helpful in initiating mechanical ventilation on patients by identifying the the patient's actual anatomical features and help to confirm proper placement of the endotracheal tube. In terms of the ventilator patients, it's extremely valuable in identifying not so much lung aeration, but problem areas within the lungs. So if you're developing an area of the lung with lung injury because of high pressures or high volumes, you'll be able to pick up on that with lung ultrasound. So evaluating, again, like I said before, for pneumonia, pneumothorax or recognizing an inadvertent bronchial intubation, a mainstem bronchial intubation uh, could be valuable as well. You know, evaluating patients with um, obstructive lung disease may not be quite as valuable unless there's some other complication going on. Because again, as I said previously, if the lungs are just filled with air, then you're not going to pick up on that as readily as you would if there was some type of consolidation. So, Paul, obviously COVID is still on everyone's minds right now. Is there any data or research out there that lung ultrasound is not only being used for COVID patients, maybe for pneumonia, but like that it's, you know, that it's effective in monitoring, you know, the condition? Yeah, so that's a that's a great question. Um, and I have found that there are, has been studies that have, have shown lung ultrasound to be extremely valuable when it comes to COVID-19 safety protocols, both for the safety of the patient, but more importantly, for the safety of the staff who are working around the patient. So again, anytime you can do something that's non-invasive like ultrasound, as opposed to invasive like the lung biopsy or something like that, it's gonna be preferable to to ensure that staff is safe when they're doing the, these procedures. So I hope to be talking about more about this issue in in the actual article because, um, like I said, there are now studies that are beginning to show the value of lung ultrasound for patients with COVID-19. Uh, compared to some of the um, uh, diagnostic tools that we mentioned earlier, like what are the benefits um, of lung ultrasound compared to radiography or pulmonary, pulmonary function testing or and, and the others? Well, I think probably the biggest benefit is that it's it can be made readily available right at the bedside or the point of care. It can really be performed at any time of the day or night and can provide, for the most part, instantaneous results. So I think, and that will 
also be part of my reasoning for why I think respiratory therapists are so valuable and in such a great position to be the ones performing these studies. So obviously we're talking about uh, to an audience of respiratory therapists and pulmonologists. Uh, so like, how do they fit into a lung ultrasound program? You know, what professional skills do RTs have that might make them, you know, the right fit for this job? Yeah, so technology has often been considered to be the bread and butter of the RT's work. They are technically savvy and clinically competent, and studies have now demonstrated that respiratory therapists can fill this role of doing lung ultrasound quite well. While respiratory therapists are present in, they're present in the critical care areas of the hospital 24-7, and with their already superior technical skills, I believe they are ideal candidates to perform these procedures. Pulmonary physicians are great candidates as well, although their availability is not as consistent as that of the respiratory therapists. RTs are there constantly. So when they're, you know, when they're evaluating the patient on a ventilator or performing other procedures, this is just one more thing that they can be doing. So, uh, Paul, you're a former uh, pulmonary care director. So, like, if you're the director of, of a department and you're not necessarily using lung ultrasound right now, um, but you're interested in getting more information and, you know, maybe setting up a training or, you know, um, buying some equipment. So what would the process look like for you to, you know, begin steps to getting involved or at least inquiring about this kind of technology? Yeah, so I think the first thing I would probably do is contact a company whose equipment I might be interested in utilizing and pick their brains and find out, you know, more information about the equipment, but more importantly, find out information about what educational services they have to offer a department such as mine. Because I need to be evaluating that information in order to be be sure that it's going to be a good fit within my department. And there's a lot of different type of equipment out there. Um, so it's important that I evaluate that, I think, right up front. And then once I've done that and decided it would be a good fit within my department, then I need to start exploring throughout the hospital different groups within the hospital because you know let's face it like anything there are groups within a hospital that perform ultrasound so you need to figure out a way to tactfully approach those people and convince them basically that they don't want to be in the ICU they don't want to be on call 24/7 um and why it would be beneficial for them to work with our department to help us to create a successful lung ultrasound program. And I think it's it's a kind of a win-win situation for both us and them, but the way it's approached will determine whether one is successful or not, I think. Uh, what added value can RTs bring to their department, not only their department, but to the hospital, assuming they're trained in a lung ultrasound? It's, you know, it's another added component that they can bring to the table and make themselves a little bit more valuable, not only as individuals, but as a department, too, I would think. 
Right. I, th- I think, you know, and that's always a, it's always a challenge for respiratory therapy directors to try to explain to administration what your value is if it's not tied to little tasks that generate billable volume. Uh, but I think, you know, respiratory therapists are outstanding, highly trained clinicians who belong at the bedside. That's where they provide the most value. Their value can be measured by how quickly they can provide benefit to the patient and how quickly the patient can be successfully discharged from the ICU and the hospital with help of the things that the respiratory therapists do. And I I believe that RT's performing lung ultrasound is just another of the many tools in our toolbox that can lead to better patient outcomes. Great. So thanks for joining us today, Paul. Um, you know, anyone in the audience interested in more information on lung ultrasound, Paul is currently writing a feature-length article for our May-June issue, which will be published in the, in the beginning of May. Um, that'll be available on rtmagazine.com. Uh, so if you're interested in more information on the subject, please um, you know stay in touch with us, and we'll be back uh, in the future with another topic. Thanks again.